0: Take the next chance. And the next time. You're rebels, are you? Save your rebellion! Save the dream! The Bizzle! Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Go oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle Cast, welcome back for a episode that I've been wanting to do for a while, which is a deep dive into Marvel and X-Men comics, but I've been looking for a partner with which to do so, and we've been trying to set this up for a while, we've also been wanting to catch up for a while, and I always love catching up via podcast, so I'd love to welcome you today, my old buddy from the Wesleyan days, Reinhard Schumann, and uh, we're going to start with a couple uh, catch-up questions, and then we're going to jump into to some x-men in marvel talk but first of all reinhardt thank you for being on and it's great to catch up with you in this particular forum
1: thanks for having me this is great happy to be here
0: so, um, you are also a big Star Wars guy, so yes. I like to ask a sort of a fun but related nerdy question to start off, and then uh, we'll, we'll deep dive into some X-Men and, and comic book stuff. But first of all, man, tell the Bizzlecast listeners a little bit about you. We obviously, you were a year below me at Wesleyan, but we were a close friends group. We were all musicians or, you know, exploring yep. music, and that was the way we all bonded. Um, and I think I've had seven or eight Wesleyan friends on, and you would know all of them but one. It's like Smiley, Dre, Sivan. Tuck, Herman, uh, probably a couple others. So that's how we met, and you're a big music guy. So talk a little bit about, about music and what else you've sort of been up to that you want to share with the Bizzlecast listeners.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I am a musician. I play saxophone and clarinet primarily. Um, try to get into that as much as possible in and around New York. Um, and then by day, uh, I work in tech, I'm a product manager. Uh, I've done that at a couple different software companies, most recently at one that makes uh, hotel management software. So that's kind of the day job and then try and do as much uh, music and other artistic stuff whenever I can.
0: Awesome, dude. Awesome. Well, you know, this, I think, while we're going to be super nerdy with the comic books, I personally have and i'm sure you have some personal stories about how we got into comics um and how that's been a part of our lives so we'll just let the personal storytelling happen naturally over the course of the podcast if that's cool of course yeah Sounds so good. I, I i uh so uh reinhardt is also a big star wars fan i think it's fair to say although we haven't talked about it much that you're an og slash ot original trilogy guy oh yeah very yeah. much So I asked Reinhardt to rank the new movies. And Reinhardt, your response is exactly the temperature of Star Wars fans, which is... The best ones have clearly been In some order Rogue One and Force Awakens The hardcore fans mostly Say Rogue One is the best Which I agree with but I'm I'm gonna Let you talk about that in a sec and you have the Force Awakens second and agree again With most of us nerds that While Force Awakens is great it's you know maybe Too close to the original movies Last Jedi obviously split people way down The middle I'm more positive than most but It's definitely the bottom of my list and like most fans Have not seen Solo although I hope you And fans out there do see it because it's super fun and it's definitely uh, well above Last Jedi for me um, and is more in the Rogue One category of feeling like the original trilogy. So really quick man you said you loved Rogue One. I love Rogue One. Um, I know you've just recently rejoined social media but anyone who's talked with me in recent years or follows me knows my general obsession with that film from top to bottom and specifically my obsession with Felicity Jones as Jyn Erso both as an actress and a character so really quick just as a warm before we get into the deep dive comics tell me why you love rogue one and why you have it at the top of the list of the new films yeah um
1: i mean a lot of it for me was that they they kind of took the time to tell a, a story that had been in existence sort of off camera for quite some time you know like you had this big idea that somehow the rebels had acquired these plans and they ended up in r2 and you know it had happened but i think like filling in that gap was really interesting Mm. that was one aspect that i liked um but there's there's just like a nice well maybe nice is the wrong word but there's a a, an appealing like vibe and style to that movie that i think um and and my understanding is this is what they're going for but it's it's a a little less childish it's it's got um a bit more of like a grown-up flavor to it yeah uh, it's a war that, movie yeah. yeah yeah it's a war movie it was a little easier for me to kind of buy into that tone and like suspend my disbelief um mm-hmm. but that's that's been the thing for me like really with all the newer star wars movies even going back to the prequels is mm-hmm. and, and i'm not the first person to say this but i'm always kind of like well you know if the first time i saw this was when i was six or seven years old, would I be hating on it as much as I am now? You know, you never know. So, um, But so, this yeah. spoke to me more. It, it it was cool. It had a good aesthetic.
0: So you haven't seen Solo yet, um, but I think the low turnout for Solo, even though, b- by the way, the f- positive fan response to solo has only been matched by rogue one and i think it's because they fill in the original trilogy but yeah. the bottom line is rogue one made over a billion dollars and solo made about a third of that and my theory is i joke about how Jin, cassian and k2 crushed han solo Chewie, and lando which is half a joke but half true and i let me run this idea by you and we'll move on which is I think what this proves is people want stuff that connects with the original trilogy, but brand new characters with new yeah. stories. And even though Rogue One was technically about the Death Star plans, most of what made that uh, movie great was all the surprises and plot twists and character stuff is my feeling. I don't know how you feel.
1: No, I agree 100%. And, and like, it's, it's nice to have some level of a connection, but it's like a difficult balance, right? Because like some, I think over the years, I'm, I definitely feel this way like people have kind of created their own backstories for most of the main characters and they have this, their imaginations have, have let them come up with like what they think Han Solo was up to, you know, before he got hired by Luke and Obi-Wan. And they like, so seeing that on screen could potentially be out of with what you've been thinking all along can be jarring. Whereas if it's just like, you know, an event that's been discussed and you introduce new characters, but it's in the, in the same spirit and the same kind of vibe as the originals. That can be really cool.
0: And this will be a good bridge because Disney will come up in, in relation to Marvel and now Fox uh, down the line in the podcast, man. But when they announced eight months before Rogue One came out that they were doing major reshoots, many people, including myself and I publicly ate crow on this, was like, uh-oh, Disney's disney the movie. Right. Um, and that was not the case at all. Uh, in fact, no. they made it more of a war movie. Uh, what they did was rewrite some of the character stuff because Jin and Cassian were a little too cold, too hard and they wanted to make them a little bit more relatable even though there was a journey to get there and if you look at the dialogue in the early cuts compared to the later the writing when they brought in Tony Gilroy who's a super pro and it, it really added so much but the saving private Ryan war stuff was preserved and even expanded and so that was when I was like okay I, Lucasfilm is whatever you think of the last Jedi or solo Lucasfilm is clearly operating on a little bit different than the other Disney companies in, including Marvel um, um, and so as a final question along those lines, um, are you an animated series guy? Are you excited about any of the announced projects going forward, specifically the John Favreau, hundred million dollars, 10 episode series that follows return of the Jedi? You no,
1: know, I only just heard about that really recently. So, uh, I mean, it sounds very cool. Definitely interested to check it out. I haven't delved too far into the other animated stuff. Um, Tried to watch Clone Wars a little bit, but I don't know. I just like couldn't get into it, I guess. And yep, too much other other great stuff to keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so but, I, yeah. I don't
0: want to preach too much on this. We can talk off mic. I tried Clone Wars a couple of years ago. Totally couldn't get into it. But after Rogue One, I, my love of Star Wars and deep dive was was reignited majorly. And so I actually went to watch Star Wars Rebels because it's more character based and it's more close to the rogue lead, lead. It was basically leading directly up to rogue one. So I watched that and I was like, okay, I love this character Ahsoka. So let me go back. And honestly, not only is Ahsoka an awesome character that gets better in the clone wars and is going to, Play a big uh, part of the future of Star Wars and already is, but the Anakin, uh, voiced by Matt Lanter, who's a pretty popular TV actor and movie actor, uh, is so likable, and it was clear that Lucas and Company d- was sort of doing a corrective for the things people didn't like about Hayden Christensen's portrayal in the prequels. Was mostly was due to writing, in my opinion, yeah. um, and so Anakin's much yeah. more likable. The guy who does Obi Wan really channels Ewan in a great way, and I actually think an Obi Wan movie, assuming they to the rogue one formula and do a new story that we don't know about and it's not just filling in the blanks the way solo did which was another criticism i think people will love obi-wan because people even if you don't like the prequels i think it's safe to say most people really liked ewan mcgregor's portrayal and would be down to see sort of him do a smaller but character-driven story leading up to the the alec guinness obi-wan would you would you be into that yeah for sure yeah that, that could be really cool yep okay cool man well we'll have to table star wars for another time and they'll be there's been a lot of announcements and they're actually bringing clone wars back for a short run but they're really stepping up their game and i won't bore you with the lore you can listen to my lorecast podcast but th- i'm very hopeful for the future um so we'll just have to see how that goes so okay man so let's dive in so guys uh so reinhardt approached me i was it what almost a year ago when we got this conversation going yeah it, it's embarrassing to say but it probably was yeah. like Ago, yeah well i, I look man I, i'm i still have friends i've been trying since the beginning of the bizzlecast two and a half years <laughs> ago i can't schedule it's very tough but um you approach me about comic books and I, I figured you knew a lot about it if you approach me but guys if you see the google document that reinhardt sent me that's a page and a half like i don't even know half the references there and i consider myself <laughs> pretty smart specifically on x-men and marvel in general i'm very familiar so this will be a great conversation so reinhardt um uh, i like to generally kind of work backwards Um, a little bit work with stuff that people who are maybe more casual fans are familiar with and then lead into the deep dive that way if you're cool with that approach yeah for sure okay so i want to get into the the story of how you got into comics and so my game plan is give us a general sense of when you got into comics what you got into and then, like, was it continuous until now, or did you come back to it? Just give us sort of an overview, and then we're going to talk about some modern stuff and then, and then work backwards from there. But I do want to give some context. So when did you get into comics, and what was your first love? Oh, man. Um, I mean, it, it sounds a
1: little bit, like, hyperbolic, but I honestly can't really remember a time in life when I wasn't into comics. Like, from a very early age... Um, so my, my dad definitely read comics, at least, you know, as a kid and probably through his teenage years. And when I was, I would say like around four, he gave me a few um, a few issues of some of the different Spider-Man books that were out at the time. It was like Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man. And, I, and that was around the start of the, the Todd McFarlane, like Spider-Man that he did so that was really my first introduction to comics Mm. um some of those great like late 80s or mid to late 80s spider-man storylines
0: oh yeah Um, gateway drug character is spider-man
1: yeah yeah um especially as like a young kid because he's so relatable and you know not saying anything anyone hasn't heard in the past but that was that was what drew me in yeah and and i was like From then on, very much a a Marvel person. Um, The next, like I, I read a lot of different Marvel books, of like kind of dabbled in them. But the next sort of ones that I really got into were X Men. So like, oh yeah, probably probably you know right at like the the early '90s kind of X Men explosion when they were like just there were probably like a dozen different just X-Men titles out at the time. Right. Cause you had like, mm-hmm. you know, uncanny X-Men, X-Men, X-Force, Wolverine, X-Factor. And then they do all these mini series. So that was when it really took off for me. Um, and I, I would say to some degree, I've always been into comics, but, and it, it, this probably isn't, um, I, I hope that a lot of people are finding the same thing, but mm-hmm. now with, You know, with things like Marvel Unlimited and Comixology, it's just so easy to jump back in and, Mm -hmm. you know, reread stuff that you loved as a kid and catch up on the new stuff. So, so I'd say, like, over the past four or five years, I've really, like, jumped back in.
0: Your story is very familiar to mine. I didn't get into comics until the early 90s with the X-Men. So, let me give you my executive summary, and then we can sort of play off there. Because I think you're going to be able to relate to some of this stuff. Sure. Which is, I was i you know i read a little spider-man and batman you know when i was younger mm-hmm. um but when the x-men animated series started in late 91 right around the time they launched the x-men not uncanny x-men you know x-men 91 the blue team um yep. which by the way x-men number one still the best-selling comic book issue ever at 8.2 million known copies wow um, yeah i look that up um and todd mcfarlane jim lee chris claremont all these x guys are going to come up because they had a huge exodus as they call it to image comics which is something i want to talk about later because that i'm very into image these days um uh and those guys were a huge part of it and are still a huge part of it um but Guys listeners the early 90s x-men is going to form the crux of this discussion but man after reading for a couple years loving the batman animated series loving the x-men animated series i hit adolescence and suddenly comic book and sports took a back seat to girls in social life or attempted girls in social life i should say um (laughs) and uh, you know getting into philosophy and religion and politics and history which by the way x-men deals with all of that stuff all the best comics do which i didn't realize till later um uh, even head of yourself like metaphysics and cosmology and so forth so 2,000 men. I've told the story before, but you haven't heard this. So you know I'm Jewish. I went to Jewish summer camp. A lot of my uh, good buddies are still from the Jewish summer camp days. So 2,000, I had just graduated high school. I was working uh, in the kitchen slash being sort of a group leader uh, uh, camp for high schooler age uh, Jewish kids, um, mostly secular in uh, upstate New York. And, um, we, you know, we would do field trips like into the woods, but there was one day when it was like a thousand degrees and they were like, you know what, we're going to go to the mall in Monticello and see the X-Men movie, which had just come out the summer of 2000. And dude, I can't tell you the experience of filling up a theater with 300 Jewish kids and that opening scene with Magneto in a concentration camp. I mean... We were all like in tears in, in that movie from Super the beginning.
1: Powerful. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and so, and that's by the way, you know, uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and, and many of the founders of Marvel are Jewish and are of the Holocaust generation. Right. And ca- everything from Captain America to the X Men obviously reverberate with themes of genocide and the Holocaust, but general, you know, bigger d- issues of of racism and discrimination. So I loved X Men, loved X Two, but then it didn't really engage me back into. Comic books, Iron Man came out in 2008. You know, I liked The Dark Knight. I liked Iron Man. I still wasn't engaged with the MCU. But then The Avengers came out, and then Guardians, and then Future Past, and then Captain America, The Winter Soldier. And it was really starting to listen to nerd podcasts that got me to go back and read comics. And while I do have I've gotten Cap and Hulk and Thor Honestly man If I'm going to sit down and read Like a graphic novel that's Marvel It's probably X-Men, X-Force Or whatever These days Um, And I've now been expanding And you know Reading some more DC stuff And uh, exploring image comics And different stuff like that So that's my story It sounds like you said Like around four or five years ago You started getting into it So let's talk about the movies briefly And then we'll jump back Into the source material So was there a movie Or like a set of movies That that re-engaged you or was it kind of separate from that experience getting back into comics or I guess getting hardcore back into the comics?
1: Yeah, I think so. Like I never really stopped reading comics and I mean, similar to, to what you said, you know, it took a little bit of a backseat um, during adolescence and which is kind of a shame really. and, and I, I, it seems like maybe, our society is moving away from that. But like, I definitely felt like there was pressure like to put it aside. You know, this is for kids. Like you can't, you can speak. But I'd kind of, you know, when I was home, just do, do some comic reading whenever I had the time, but I did under the bed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the movies, I mean, similar, similarly to you, I, like the first X-Men movie had a huge impact on me. But I was like, I was super pumped for that to come out. You know, I was like counting the days.
0: Um, I sorry, I had it in the back of my mind, but I didn't dare to hope or believe, even with the great (laughs) cast. But I, I I, I couldn't have predicted Hugh Jackman. And by the way, I've said Hugh Jackman's rise to stardom is faster than anyone else. It takes about twenty seconds when you're looking at his back in the ring. You're like, that's Wolverine.
1: Yeah, he's he's a phenomenal for that role in spite of being way too tall but <laughs> we can we can let that go nerd alert yeah but uh no i do i mean at some point i would like to see like a short furry wolverine on screen like that's that's the character you know it'd, it'd be good to like bring that to life but
0: when they um, recast for the x-force movies that'll happen i think
1: yeah yeah i could see that mm-hmm. but and i i also get it like they couldn't they there's no way they could do that for like what was at the time like a pretty big gamble, right? There weren't like a lot of other superhero movies out. Most of them had been in the past had been big failures, other than probably like the first couple of Batman movies and maybe like Superman one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the movie wise, I was super pumped for that first X Men movie. I have very clear memories of going to see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like you, you know, like. Some of the movies along the way, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll see that." But I was always like more. This is maybe different from you, but always more of a comic guy. So like, mm-hmm. I like seeing the movies, but sometimes I get nervous that stories that I, I cherish are just going to get kind of. Uh, I mean, ruined is too strong a word, but but changed dramatically in ways that don't sit well. Um, I did love Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. And I very clearly remember going to see that.
0: Yeah, me too. That was the one that it really ignited for me if I had to pinpoint. Yeah.
1: That that was like a big turning point. I think it's also like like the best ones are the ones that kind of stand alone as movies regardless of the source material, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. So it's like you know, yeah. Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. the first Avengers movie, the first Guardians movie, Logan. um, I would put the first X-Men movie in that category too. I think it's it's yeah. an enjoyable film even for just like a casual fan or someone not familiar.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I would say um it wasn't just winter soldier the movie i mean first of all i had loved joss whedon for a while by the way wesley and what what um from the firefly days i wasn't sure. a buffy guy growing up but i had a lot of female friends who love buffy so i you know i watched it with them i love firefly i love the serenity movie and i was thrilled that he got the avengers job and, and avengers was oh. great but honestly winter soldier the combination of them allowing them to do like a hard pg-13 spy thriller and the fact that captain america instantly became my Favorite superhero on screen Which I never saw coming I'm like okay I gotta give Marvel a chance um, And then I actually love Days of Future Past More uh, over time Guardians took me a little While to warm up to But I really like Guardians 1 So that year 2014 altogether. Um, and by the way man Just as an aside Those three movies That year mixed with The Star Wars announcement And the lead up to Force Awakens And specifically the Announcement of Black Panther and the slow Introduction of Black Panther that's what Ultimately launched the Bizzle cast um, And uh, uh, so that was a really key time for me Plus listening to tons of nerd podcasts um, A couple quick connections there And then I want to talk about X-Men And specifically X-Factor Which you're a big fan of and I've been actually researching And I have some connections With the X-Men movies To, to X-Factor Both past and future A couple quick things First of all About the original X-Men It was a gamble on Hugh Jackman But you did have Ian McCallum You did have Patrick Stewart You also had I mean Anna Paquin Was already a famous kid actor By then You had Halle Berry Which you know Obviously she was underused But she's still Halle Berry So they did What they did in Rogue One Which I wanted to mention Which is the other reason Rogue One's great Is the number of Award winning actors Going into that movie From Felicity Jones To Diego Luna to Donnie Yen who's a legend To Forrest Whitaker who's a legend Ben Mendelsohn You know uh, on and on And on that that obviously helps any Movie and so I think they were comfortable taking A chance on Hugh Jackman and some of The other kids uh, or some of the Kids in the movie because of that um, But yeah it, it was an amazing Experience um, but, but uh, More recently um, You know like it wasn't a hard sell For like a rebooted Skywalker saga you know Trilogy with J.J. Abrams at that. Helm, yeah, which I love the Star Trek reboot. That that was not a hard sell for me as a Star Wars fan. But when the same man is, I really respect you saying that you're a comics book guy first because I'm a movie guy and I, I'm very unhappy with the inevitable move towards television and away from movies. They're making fewer movies and they're crappier. Huge budgets, most of them don't hit. Um, you know, except for occasional years like 2014 but because I'm a movie guy first Star Wars will and because Star Wars was my first love Star Wars will let's put it this way the greatest Star Wars movies like Rogue One like Empire and Return of the Jedi and so forth will always be higher than the comic books because I think you were hinting at this I want to throw it to you because Star Wars is a film medium first it always has an advantage to trying to convert comic book medium to screen uh
1: yeah I think that's true like the there's just so much that you read in these comics that is clearly specific to that medium. And I, I mean, that's really what grabs me back in general is like what's happening in your brain sort of like between the panels where you're like making these connections and you're kind of using your own imagination to fill, literally fill in like the visual gaps because you're just seeing a static image. Um, and there's so many so many examples of, of trying to bring that to life on the screen and it just sort of (laughs) falling flat or becoming like too complex to cram into a couple hours. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I stand we're, Just always been like a big lover of comics.
0: Alright man, so let's get down to it So I actually found a great transition Just today uh, While I was watching some of X-Men Apocalypse In the background, which I actually think is a very Underrated movie um, But I was trying to figure out where they Got or were influenced by the story In X-Men Apocalypse because The characterization of Apocalypse in the story Was nothing like what I remember growing up With Apocalypse And in fact man, it is the writer Simon Kimberg who's written on And off on most of the X-Men movies And his directorial debut Replacing Brian Singer finally with Dark Phoenix in February which should be Interesting um, Simon Kimberg said they actually based It uh, loosely on a 1986 uh, Crossover That was mostly X-Factor where they Introduced Apocalypse fully for the First time um, I don't know if you're familiar with that now 86 Was a huge year you know X-Men's Popularity grew by the month and the 80s culminating in the early 90s that you hinted and we're going to talk more about so that was 86 with the x-factor apocalypse story um and that was the year wolverine launched with the classic chris claremont six issue run uh with um was it alan uh alan moore um Someone else super famous With Chris Claremont With the, you know, the Japan story That the Wolverine oh, film I was, was based Miller. on Is it Frank Miller? Frank Miller, excuse me I always get that mixed up Yeah, Frank Miller um, Which, as you know, the, the Wolverine uh, movie story Was loosely based on In fact, they wanted to go more uh, uh, literal on it And it just didn't turn out that way um, So talk to me a little bit about When and how you got into X-Factor It has a little, uh, again, this is new to me It has a little Jessica Jones With sort of the snarky private investigations thing in fact, I, you know Jessica Jones clearly now. Looking at it, Drew is drawing from X Factor private investigation. So, talk a little bit about when you got into that. Is it connected to the X Men in terms of, of your love of it? And um, actually, could you just maybe just introduce X Factor because even people who know X Men a lot probably don't know X Factor. So maybe start there.
1: Yeah, totally. So it's it's got an interesting sort of publication history. Initially, it in that mid eighties time X factor was like the way that Marvel reintroduced the original, uh, five X men, uh, like kind of brought them back into their own title. So after, cause it had gotten to the point where, um, where those five being, you know, beast, Iceman, angel, Jean gray, and, and Cyclops mm-hmm. had all left like the Xavier Institute, um, I don't remember the exact reasons, and so it had been different for, like, Beast was an Avenger for a
0: while. Mm-hmm. Um, it was and- a precursor to X-Force, where they went rogue to kind of do the dirty work and work outside the law, and obviously Cyclops and Jean Grey ended up not being comfortable with it and going back to the X-Men, and now we have darker characters like Wolverine, Deadpool, and Psylocke doing X-Force, but I believe it was a precursor thematically um, and narratively to X-Force. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was when that, that time period when apocalypse was introduced and he was kind of like the main antagonist in that period. Um, once those five X-Men like went back to the core X-Men team, um, they, they decided to revamp the title and what they did for this long run in like the early to mid nineties, um, is they had, they had it as like a, a government ops. Yep mutant team mm-hmm. with, with Alex Summers at the lead havoc. Um, and his, his long time love interest. Hilarious. Rest in peace. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so, so that was like a cool evolution of that book. Then it kind of like went off the rails a while and it was, there was stuff where like yeah, things were getting really funky with havoc and I kind of lost interest then. But what got me back into it is when they, um, they revamped it as you said as this like X-factor investigations thing mm-hmm. um with Jamie Madrox multiple man as kind of the leader and also the focal point of the story arc um and it was it was an interesting just sort of setup like they were they were living in in uh, this section of New York city called mutant town, which is kind of like the mutant ghetto. And they were specifically saw- serving as private investigators for. Full- um, and I think it was the first time that they really started to delve into Madrox as, as a character. And mm-hmm. he's, he's such an interesting character to build out because he's got this, this, what on the surface level seems like, Maybe even a boring power, just he can create these duplicates of himself, you know. But the the catch there is like each of them has a specific facet of his personality, right? So it's like mm. very kind of expansive and crazy what he can do, but it's also very relatable because a lot of it is just about like the internal struggles that he has going on, which I always thought was really cool. Um, and then they they really dug into this other side of him, which is that he could send a duplicate out to, to like learn something like send one to become a lawyer, send one to become like some sort of like sniper or marksman, send one to become like a black belt and, and then reabsorb them. And then he would have all these skills. So he's actually like a really powerful guy in that sense. Um, but that was what drew me back in. And that, that whole run, um, I just thought was really cool. And it's, it's, of course, it's not just Madrox, like all the other characters the main characters and the supporting ones in that series were really great Mm -hmm.
0: i think again not knowing a ton about x factor i i can come up with three theories off the top of my head about why it faded um uh, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree Or, or, or have different theories or add One yeah. is the immediate Popularity of Wolverine and Obviously the return of Gene and Cyclops To the X-Men and the addition of Wolverine Immediately X-Men start overshadowing And you know kids like me who Come from pretty well off backgrounds You know getting three comic books a month From my parents was a stretch so Even though I was interested in X-Factor, X-Force Caliber, and the Wolverine comics And so forth I could only get so many So it was like X-Men, Uncanny X-Men and I loved Iron Man for whatever reason as a kid. I don't know how I got into it, but I loved Iron Man um, and War Machine growing up. And so th- yeah, I think most people you have, to, you have to pick, and so it went from you know X Men to X Factor and back to X Men and so forth. Um, I think that's clear clearly a reason. I said three. but I can come up with two, um, I think the second is. Um, I don't know i mean is it possible that they had trouble reconciling them working for the government that had been trying to kill them for decades and that's why they're now private investigation
1: well so the i i agree 100 with with the first point and and that was that time you know in the early 90s when marvel was just pushing out arguably way too many x titles because they were you know that the, i think when like around the time the first X-Force book came out, which was how they revamped the New Mutants title. Um,
0: Oh, that's right. I screwed that up. New Mutants was the real precursor with Cable to X-Force. You're right.
1: Right, right. So so around that time period, it it was super popular, and they just kind of oversaturated the market. Um, But unfortunately, I think maybe because it didn't have, like, as strong a hook to draw people in, x factor kind of took a back seat to to x force and x men um, but I mean the more interesting storylines were going on there and the the government part so that was like one whole whole period where where you know havoc was leader of the team and um, and that kind of ran its course sometime in like the late nineties and they mm-hmm. they then revamped it again as this private investigator thing so mm-hmm. So the government connection eventually did get severed. I don't know if, like, I always found those storylines when they were um, working for the federal government to be pretty interesting, but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's possible maybe it didn't resonate with people just because, you, you know, they have been persecuted for so long, so why are they going to, you know, kind of fall in line with with all that, but... But I think that was also arguably, like, part of what made it interesting, you know, kind of trying to, like, bring change from the inside. Yeah.
0: and yeah. just to start bringing in movies so we can maybe bounce back and forth x-men first class dealt with this you know sure. Xavier you really wanted to work with moira mctaggart who ends up being you know more loyal to the x-men than the government she works for but most of the government ends up being untrustworthy or getting killed off or sidetracked you know i believe that you know they kill off oliver platt's character and she's kind of sidelined and at the <laughs> end you know spoiler alert guys in first class both the russians and americans train all their missiles on the mutants and that's when charles first starts realizing okay, Okay, this isn't going to work. Um, I agree that is very interesting, um, but once the Sentinels come in, it, it gets very hazy.
1: So, like what they did with the Moira McTaggart character in the in that movie, um, to me, I don't know if this was intentional, but they they kind of conflated who Moira is in the comics, who yep. is like a, a mutant focused scientist scientist.
0: Yeah. Not with, a CIA agent
1: yeah. with this other character, Val Cooper, mm. who she was like the government liaison between the X factor team and, and the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, and they almost like combine those two, uh, which makes sense. Cause like Val, Val Cooper is like a relatively obscure character. Whereas like Moira McTaggart is someone they, I'm sure they wanted to get into the movies and like, She has this whole kind of love story with with Xavier that's on and off.
0: They have great chemistry in in the two movies. They've been together, honestly.
1: Yeah for sure So
0: I said I had uh, Three reasons why X-Factor faded At least for a while uh, And I remembered it uh, During a short break We just took man Which is The legendary Peter David Who's widely regarded As the best Hulk writer ever And basically Popularizing Smart Hulk As they call him Not just dumb Angry Hulk Like the Bruce Banner Portrayed by Mark Ruffalo When it's being written well Like the Joss Whedon Version of it Is based completely On Peter David's Hulk as my understanding And he wrote Thank the X-Men, a lot of the X-Factor that you recommended to me is either directly by Peter David or Peter David Inspired. Now, we're going to get to the fact, uh, the way this is all going to connect, guys, with modern X-Men comics and movies is what's called House of M, which I'm going to save for a couple minutes. And uh, what was interesting, man, was reading um, the uh, X-Factor investigations that you recommended, Um, they're immediately talking about the fallout from M-Day, as they call it. So we'll get into the sort of post-2005 five x comics and how that might influence the movies in the future but really quickly um it's not a surprise that 1991 the x-men animated series was released to pretty great acclaim uh certainly great popularity and as i mentioned x-men number one sold eight million copies and has been untouched till today so do you remember experiencing that synergy were you into the animated series and were you reading the jim lee claremont comics as voraciously as me in the early 90s
1: yeah yeah absolutely um that was like you know religiously every every saturday morning i would i would wait for that show to be on and mm-hmm. you know probably sit through like 2 hours of garbage that was on before it <laughs> you okay. know leading up yeah um but yeah i watched i watched all of that I've, I've rewatched them many times um it's it's always been so interesting to me how well that worked because they did deviate from what was going on in the comics to some extent, but like it, uh, I guess it was just also exciting to like see some versions of those characters mm-hmm. brought to life on screen. Cause this was, you know, well before anyone was talking about doing a movie. Um, but just, just a great series overall.
0: And, um, That was also the first time, even way more than Batman the Animated Series, which is like its own universe, where the TV popularity started informing the portrayal of the characters in the comics. Right. And we see that all the time now. Like, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. I can't read Iron Man without thinking of Robert Downey Jr., um wolverine i can separate but most of the characters including cap and winter soldier anything i read it's hard for me to separate from some of the portrayal and some of that is just mental you know and some of that is that they're trying to have synergy like for instance when i read x-force now i can only hear ryan reynolds voice with deadpool I can still mm-hmm. separate Wolverine, though, because I was into Wolverine for so long and have his voice in my head, you know? And, like, Psylocke I, it doesn't sound like Olivia Munn to me, even though she barely spoke in the movie. Uh, hopefully we'll see more of her in the future. But you know what I'm saying? Like, do you agree that that was, like, maybe, uh, at least in our modern lifetimes, the first time that it started going w- what we might call backwards towards the comics?
1: Yeah, I mean, whoever, I don't know the the voice actor's name, but whoever did Wolverine's voice, I still hear his voice as Wolverine whenever I'm reading the comics. You know what? You're right.
0: That's probably what I'm hearing.
1: Even more, certainly more than like Hugh Jackman. Um, Mm -hmm. And the same, I probably the same with storm and with Gambit. Some of the other ones have like deviated a bit, but, um, but those three stick in my mind for whatever reason.
0: And, I don't know how much you know about the exodus of Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane and so forth in the early nineties to form image comics. But the main reason they left other than being underpaid is that their portrayals were so popular and the Marvel was making a shit ton of money off of their portrayals creative properties and they were getting paid a pittance of royalties and image comics from the beginning until today which is still the largest independently owned comic book uh company and by the way man image comics in the first couple years in the early 90s briefly surpassed dc in sales at the time which is staggering and mind-blowing and shows how influential and popular those writers were not to mention x-men inarguably went downhill when those guys left at least for a while right
1: Oh, yeah. And they, you know, they did, I mean, related to the rise of Image Comics, they actually did an animated series of uh, Wildcats, which is like Jim Lee's mm. Image Comics mm-hmm. um, main property, you know, superhero team that he was developing. It did not last as long as the X Men series, certainly, but, mm-hmm. but they, that was popular enough that that was like a viable option to even do, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: And it, it, it's been so influential Even though Image Has been up and down They're way up now The last couple of years again And deservedly so In my opinion I love what they've been doing And I think the best writer Of Image Comics now Is Rick Remender Who rebooted X-Force With Uncanny X-Force In 2010 Which is excellent And is very much informing Where I think they're going And we're going to get to this With I'm not going to spoil anything But with Deadpool and Cable And X-Force And the introduction of characters Like Psylocke and so forth I think the rated R Fox movies are. in the uncanny x-force direction of the last you know five ten years or so and so marvel does treat its writers better now and not only that but they're cool and even encourage them to do work with other uh imprints like idw i believe it's called and um uh dark horse and Mm -hmm. uh certainly image um you know guys like jonathan hickman who does uncanny x-men rick remender who i mentioned and so forth so it was influential you know across the board um obviously you mentioned todd mcfarlane earlier who was known for spider-man and now obviously known for spawn but mostly now is just running the company so i think the exodus had a positive um Uh, uh, Influence Overall but it's you know how interesting it is Man that we grow up in a certain time You know that we were The perfect age when the Star Wars movies started coming to VHS Right we were the perfect age when X-Men started blowing up in various Media we were old enough To appreciate uh, how Amazing the rebirth of Comic books and comic book movies has Been in the last 10 years right we're just of That age I just think it's interesting I don't know if You have thoughts on that
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, did you have the like the original trilogy digitally remastered in THX that I, they put I, out? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I've probably seen the original movie in Empire like a hundred times, and I've probably seen Return of the Jedi like three to five hundred times.
1: Yeah, but that that was I don't know. It's I guess it speaks to the power of Star Wars. But I remember like th- that being one of the first and maybe only times where there was so much hype just around like a VHS release. Mm -hmm. because they had remastered that original trilogy Mm -hmm. i'm talking about the you know the one that has it's like the black oh yeah background Mm -hmm. and each you know it's like a a shot of like a single character on each one
0: i had the black and sort of pinkish purple return of the jedi yoda poster huge on my wall
1: yeah um but yeah i I guess it's it's cool this to to hear you say that because like you know sometimes thinking back on life it's easy to think of like you know, perfect or interesting moments in time that you missed but in terms of pop culture we, we kind of hit some some good s- spots you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. coming of age when Star Wars was a- around and um, and yeah the whole x-men popularity I, I was curious to hear do you I, I also feel like there's there's quite a bit of backlash about that early 90s x-men. I, I wouldn't even say so much yeah. the storylines, but maybe like the overall style of it gets panned a lot. That, and I always feel yeah. funny about that, because to me, like I kind of love all of that. Like no, the- I
0: think I think because it was a fuzzy and slow transition from the early '90s to the mid-'90s, it's mostly yes, they started getting more muscular in the early '90s, but it wasn't until like Rob Leefield, who did Deadpool and so forth. It wasn't right. until the mid '90s when Jim Lee, Chris Claremont, and so forth left for Image that it started going way over the top. And they've definitely readjusted big time in the last 10 or 15 years. Where yes, Psylocke and Jean and Emma Frost are still sexy, but they've t- don't t- you know they've dialed it back a little bit. Certainly, the over muscularity and hyper masculinity they've dialed back. And we've got great characters like X-23, for example, which we'll get to when we get to the the, the modern movies. Um, but yes, I, I I think that's what. Turned Turned people off along with losing their best writers in the mid 90s.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm in the minority, but like a lot of those crazy looks with like all the different belts and pouches and like giant guns and weird kind of like half hoods where the hair was coming out. I thought that stuff was cool, but I guess that that is the kind of stuff that would appeal to, you know, like. A twelve-year-old boy reading oh, comics.
0: Right. <laughs> well, and- I mean, I look. I, I agree with you. I think if it looks cool and is pretty to look at, i and it's dynamic, I'm all about it. It's like how I say about special effects in movies. Which, by the way, man, having continually rewatched both MCU and X Men movies over the years, I would postulate that whatever you think of the X Men movies individually, and I'm going to have you rank them in a second as I prepared you. I think the X-Men movies continually get special effects better and more consistently than the MCU movies. There are effects in X2 and even Last Stand that look better than things we've seen in Cap and even Black Panther and so forth. I think Avengers Infinity War is the first one they nailed from top to bottom, Um, uh, even though the MCU movies in terms of quality have been much better. The X-Men movies, something about Bryan Singer and the brain trust there, again, whenever you think about the people and the movies, look uh, amazing x2 looks better yeah. than anything from 2003 that's not return of the king
1: they have like a, a almost like a cleaner visual aesthetic mm-hmm. that that seems more grounded in reality like even when stuff is completely you know over the top fantastical mm-hmm. it, it sort of like fits within my perception of reality in a way that that sometimes gets lost when things get you know poorly rendered as cgi or, or whatever
0: absolutely all right dude let's get into it i normally do quick hits in the beginning but i really want to lay some groundwork um and so let's finish strong here with some quick hits about movies and in other media if that sounds good
1: yeah for sure
0: um uh so okay so you got x1 let's start with the the x-men universe i'm going to include fox in this so we got x1 x2 x3 slash last stand uh wolverine origins um the wolverine um logan i'm not going totally in chronological here uh wolverine logan um deadpool one and two you haven't seen two so i I haven't seen two but if you know anything about deadpool and cable (laughs) and hope and the messiah complex you'll be good to go um yeah so uh but how they do it what's brilliant about deadpool 2 in my opinion man without spoiling is that it's less laugh out loud hysterical than the first, but it has more heart and dives deeper into the mythology than really any of the X Men movies, and is I believe setting up X Force as the primary factor going forward. Assuming they can also sustain, you know, PG thirteen X Men franchise. Um, but I don't want to say any more than that till you see it. So X one, X two, X three, and uh, and
1: I guess Future Past and Apocalypse, right? They're like apocalypse. later three. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. What's your favorite X movie?
1: I think I'm going to give, this may, This may surprise you, but I'm actually going to give that to First Class that was that's my favorite movie you're not
0: the only one maddie g who's a regular actually the one wesleyan guy who you probably don't know is matt goisman who was in our my class who i didn't even know he's one of my main contributors on and off through the years he's a giant dc guy not so much marvel although he likes the mcu definitely not a star wars guy although he likes original trilogy he's a dc guy uh through and through he loves first class because he's like into you know cw and stuff like that he loves the intentional campiness and fun uh, upbeat comic book stuff
1: i think yeah the reason i I rank it first is it's the one that i like find myself watching over and over again the most so i get that's great yeah Yeah.
0: that's probably the movie that took the biggest jump from my first watching to my third fourth fifth in the x universe
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so first class then logan and those are kind of like one a and one b for me yeah you know it sort of depends on what kind of mood i I was gonna say (laughs) you know the most
0: upbeat and the darkest yeah
1: yeah uh then x1 or no then x2 i'm sorry
0: yeah x2's gotta yeah
1: first class x2 x1 and this is where it gets a little trickier Hmm. probably probably go apocalypse future past
0: interesting
1: the wolverine then you know whatever wolverine origins or whatever it's called and then x3 is x3 and the first wolverine movie are kind of
0: x3 is way more watchable though they're both abominations yeah i've gotten through less than like three times i've never gotten through origins
1: i've i've gotten through it a couple of times but it's pretty bad yeah i think that's my order Oh, I didn't. I didn't even include Deadpool. I left Deadpool
0: out. Yeah, it's hard to include. I think when you see Deadpool two, it'll make more sense. But Deadpool one by itself, it's hard to. It's hard to know.
1: It's definitely up more near the top, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So I will say, I saw Apocalypse once in the theater. I think Apocalypse suffered because there was there was literally the third movie in three months where the giant superheroes were fighting each other. And most people hated Batman v Superman. Civil war was generally liked, but again, I think people are already starting to get exhausted of superheroes punching each other. Yeah. And by the time it got to Apocalypse with a forty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, people just kind of stayed home. Now it did make like six hundred million ultimately, which isn't terrible. And X Men does great overseas. I always talk about how foreigners really get X Men because it's deeper, more intellectual. Sorry, Americans, but just look <laughs> at look at what does well in Europe, Australia, and so forth compared to here. Um, it's you know it, it's very obvious. Um, movies like Pirates of the Caribbean and Jurassic World do great in sort of non English speaking countries. Uh, English non-American English speaking countries tend to like the better headier Star Wars movies and the better headier uh, Marvel and X-Men movies. I'm, I'm big into following box office. I, I really liked Apocalypse. The problem with Apocalypse is the first 30 minutes is such a slog setting up everything. I think they spend way too much time on Apocalypse's backstory and getting the horsemen together uh, and they didn't need the Magneto sob story. That said, once you get to the X-Mansion and James McAvoy being cocky, sexy, Professor X again and Quicksilver and I really like the new X-Men, at least they have a lot of potential. I love J-Law in it and so forth. Once that all starts coming together and honestly, man, I rewatched it over the last couple days in chunks Again, it looks amazing special effects. The the flying from like for example, in Marvel when a character flies or jumps from hundreds of feet back into front screen, you can almost always tell where the transition is. When psylocke cuts that car in half and so forth, like it's seamless. Um and the final battle is actually way better than the airport battle in my opinion in Civil War because the emotional stakes are there. The airport battle in Civil War was just an exercise in special effects where they were laughing and punching each other, you know, as Mm. grave as the situation is so I agree apocalypse is underrated I'm still going to put future past above it um, because I just think that is sort of an artistic I'm not going to say masterpiece but achievement and I love the future scenario I love the way they go back and forth between the future to the past like it's the perfect amount of each Um, even though first class is super fun I feel like the characters really hit their stride mystique doesn't really do much uh, in first class she gets a lot more to do in two more recent movies um and i think james mcavoy should have been nominated for an oscar for his performance as schizophrenic professor x in um uh in apocalypse and he's finally getting recognition now with uh with split in movies like that he's one of my favorite underrated actors so i i probably have um i'm gonna leave deadpool out i probably have logan one then x2 then future past uh then original x-men Then I probably have Apocalypse above the Wolverine. And then, yeah, X3 and and First Class, I can't even put in there. And I don't know where to put Deadpool. Um, So we're mostly in agreement, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's not so far. Yeah. Oh, so First Class. Hmm. Do I have First Class above Apocalypse? Can I say jury's out on that? I need to rewatch both again.
1: For sure. I took a a lot of (laughs) of that when I did my ranking. I don't even know if I actually ranked them. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's really interesting, again, to make the Winter Soldier, Guardians, Future Past 2014 comparison. I love Winter Soldier, and it was for a while my favorite new comic book movie. It's gotten slightly old and not as rewatchable as I thought. Guardians took me one or two watchings to warm up to, and then I really enjoyed it. And while I only watch it occasionally, I still really enjoy Guardians 1. X-Men Days of Future Past, I was just giddy about with both casts and such a classic story. I loved the first time, the way I love Last Jedi the first time, and then Last Jedi sort of fallen steadily on repeat watchings. But Future Past, unlike Last Jedi, has bounced back big time, and I watched the Rogue cut which is a really interesting extended edition uh with the rogue and and more ellen page and so forth but watching what they cut from that and then rewatching the final original version made me really appreciate the artistry of that movie and i think if anything apocalypse suffered in parts when, again brian singer can be a little too cold like almost a little too perfect at times does that make sense
1: I think, yeah, I get what
0: you're saying, for sure. You you know what I mean? Like, he wants every shot to be perfect. There's sort of a beautiful confusion to the Avengers movies, which Joss Whedon does so well. You know what I mean? Like, I I almost like that a little bit. And I think that's maybe why you like First Class, is that it's sloppy in parts. It's certainly campy with Kevin Bacon and Emma I mean, January Jones is so corny in that movie, but it's just fun to watch the mustache twirling, right? And that's part of the charm. Yeah,
1: and and like, it's... Like I said, I think it is very rewatchable and very kind of escapist. Just this is something fun way. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily groundbreaking or really challenging cinema, but, mm-hmm. um, these days, a lot of times that's what I want, you know, it's like, let's just watch something enjoyable. And
0: totally. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So. Just to do the, the final uh, act here, really appreciate you being on. So I have one more question about the X Men, having you specifically with Logan, Hugh Jackman, and Wolverine. Um, then I want to ask you about just in general some of your other favorite Marvel, DC, you know, etc. comic book movies, and then we'll do final thoughts and wrap up. Mm-hmm. So I just released my Logan commentary, which I thought I was going to release after my talk, uh, after I release our podcast, and I actually mention you a lot because. I wanted to talk about the movie and not go deep lore slash personal stories because I knew that would come up in our podcast sure you know, every time I start getting into lower personal stories I stop myself because of what's going on on screen and be like guys just listen to the Reinhardt podcast it's going to be <laughs> an amazing X-Men Logan extravaganza so talk to me about Logan it's the one we always wanted the Wolverine teased it Wolverine was supposed to be rated R they got a, they got nervous about it but then Deadpool making 750 million and being hard R you know was the, the last thing they needed needed to green light logan and pretty much agreed upon by comic book fans and non-comic book fans to be neck and neck i mean i have it ahead of this movie but if you pull everybody i think some combination of dark knight avengers and logan would rise to the top so yeah. is, is logan i know you love first class so let's put that aside for a second is logan at or near the top of all comic book movies for you and why and what makes it so special
1: It it is like like what the reason I hesitate with that. And I think I'm pretty sure like Manola Dargis is the one who reviewed it for the times, if I remember correctly. And she says something like this, like it, it's, it's just, it basically, it's just a good movie. You know, it does, it kind of surpasses being a comic book movie. Um, And that, that kind of harkens back to the point you made about uh, Winter Soldier, where like they just made you know this this spy movie, or or something like Rogue One, where they were like we're just going to make a a war movie. Um, I think that it seems like there's a, more of a success formula when they just treat these as movies and you know use the source material for what it is. But but there's nothing wrong with um, I guess you could say leaning on a, a, existing like cinematic. Tropes and genres that that will work because you have such a great story to tell already. That for me was why it worked. You know, it was, it, it, it's cool even if you know absolutely nothing about any of these characters or that haven't read a comic ever. It's, it's just kind of like an interesting, you know, sad sort of road movie slash Western slash dystopian future. Um, but yeah, that, that's my take on it.
0: Um, yeah and and just to build on that real quick the real connection with deadpool and logan isn't the rated r-ness it's exactly what you said it's a comic book movie that non-comic book fans can and did love and enjoy but has enough deep dive comic book stuff in both of them to to satisfy us nerds as well right it's a perfect balance and as we've been hinting at we should just say it While Hugh Jackman's portrayal of Logan Draws heavily in terms of The writing from the comics he's such A distinct version of it that you Can still read the comics get a separate experience You can recast it down the road They should wait but you can recast it down the Road and have a completely different portrayal especially With I don't want to go into this man but People out there if you don't know much about X-Men Specifically X-Men has So many timelines that Only like the cosmic side of DC which maybe we'll touch upon briefly Can compete with how many timelines Lines and earths there are in X-Men. So, uh actually one question I had while watching Logan Man is is the Logan is the let's put it this way. Obviously, he's still obsessed and, and tormented about Gene, and there's connections with things that happened in X1, X2, and Future Past was reset things to eliminate last stand essentially. But it seems to me that the Logan movie might end up being an independent branch off because it shares some things with old man Logan, which itself mm-hmm. is sort of an independent branch off, right? So yeah. let me put, let me ask you two parter about this, which is a, do you think that was the intention? It will end up being an indep- uh, independent, independent um, sort of branch uh, that, that comes from the others, but doesn't lead to anything. And B, do you want that? I think,
1: and I'm hoping that it's, it's its own branch and it's, it's not necessarily going to connect everything else. The part that, I'm really confused about, and I'm super curious to see how they handle this is, you know, they introduced several new mutants slash X-Force characters in Logan in what was clearly the future. So then how, if they're kind of try and build out this whole like X-Force um, line and movies ha- does that connect at all? Is it just totally separate? Uh, I'm, and again, I haven't seen Deadpool two yet, so I don't yeah, know. If maybe know. some of it yep. clears that up. But but that's really the main thing. I
0: no, I'm, it muddies it. Deadpool two really? made me think way more than I did that it is going to have connection. And again, with the time traveling of Cable, Deadpool, and the X Force it they can easily justify let's be honest i have two words from a straight movie making standpoint i I don't think they made logan trying to connect it i think they they wanted to reward james man for being great and said just make a great wolverine final death movie right but really what what
1: x i hope that's case
0: well the thing is it's called logan and it's the death story of logan and professor x but it's also the origin of x23 and The two words about why I think it will connect partially, Daphne Keene. The breakout performance of Daphne Keene as as Lara slash X-23, what she did for 93 minutes I counted without talking and then verbalizing like crazy in Spanish and trying to communicate on various levels with Wolverine. I know she's still young. She's not as young as she looks. She's going to be 16 in like two years. Um, and probably will have a growth spurt even if she doesn't who fucking cares her physicality is amazing i think daphne keen is going to end up on x-force with cable deadpool and some characters i won't mention and i think daphne keen bouncing off of cable and specifically ryan reynolds is going to be amazing i mean i don't know I if you've see seen so you know the very first scene where she just blows up and speaks for the first time and starts cursing at at logan in spanish for like five minutes yeah yeah. that was her audition scene and you can see it online on the official site and it's that exact scene and she's this 11 12 year olds getting right in hugh jackman's face and she really punches him in that scene like he told her to punch him over and over again like she really punches him she's fearless she's magnetic You know um, Like one of my superpowers As a podcaster Is recognizing young female talent uh, Emma Watson, you know, from the original Harry Potter movie, Mackenzie Foy, who's now about to break out big time in Interstellar, uh, and I think Daphne Keen is is definitely among among those young actresses. Um, and so I think they have to work her in, even if they wait a year or two. And it's going to take that with Fox. They've got this, this sale to Disney. We might as well bring this in. They've confirmed New Mutants and X Men: Dark Phoenix next year. Thank God. Um, and so it, it, it's again, I don't want to spoil anything about Deadpool two. Um, By the way, I thought Logan drew just as heavily from the Cable Hope House of M Messiah Complex story as it did from Old Man Logan, maybe more. I mean, Laura is really a combination Mm -hmm. of uh the x-23 that we know in the comics but hope as well um as sort of the first uh, one of the first of the new generation of mutants i don't know how familiar you are with that story and i don't know oh, if yeah, you agree yeah. With that. totally yeah
1: no i think that's spot on the other thing that uh, that i immediately think of when i watch that movie which is not a comic book movie but i'm pretty sure this is a movie that you really love is uh, children of men
0: Love it. I talk like, about I, Children of Men and Mad Max throughout the Logan commentary. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there's so many parallels there. And like to the point where you, if you didn't like Logan, you might just argue it's ripping that off. But, um, but I thought it was great, You know, all the inspirations that came in there and How made did, that movie.
0: How did you feel about Mad Max?
1: I thought it was wonderful. Um, yeah, I've, I've honestly only seen it the one time um, when, it, when it first came out, but mm-hmm. loved it.
0: Can I, can I give you my Brief Because uh, I don't know if you'll get around to my commentary um, Those three movies My brief comparison And ultimate kind of critique of Mad Max And I think the other two movies are better Is in all three cases It's near future Mad Max maybe a little bit further um, And while there is various levels of government And societal breakdown in all three Right mm-hmm. What's ultimately dark Other than the tone and the violence And good guys dying Is I, okay, I talk about how there's two kinds of uh, dystopia scenarios. One is the V for Vendetta in 1984, top down where the government, and, and what Trump's trying to do, where the government's trying to create a bad situation, but in the case of both uh, V for Vendetta and some similar properties, people still have hope. The scarier scenario is the Mad Max, Children of Men, Logan, where society at whole as a whole has not only broken down, but has become hopeless, cynical, and bitter, right? And mm-hmm. Children of Men is the scariest, I think, because when you realize the implications of no more children you realize that nihilism isn't just a philosophy but is a fact of life because that's actually what they're experiencing yeah, but totally logan with the mutants and if you bring in house of m which by the way really quickly guys house of m in 2005 which inf- has still continues to influence all the x comics and uh, as well as the avengers and cap and so forth to today was the scarlet witch Um, So in the comics, more recently, in the last few decades, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are brother-sister, like in Ultron, but uh, they're Magneto's children. Um, and they couldn't do that in Ultron obviously because they didn't own X-Men at that time um, and I think that was by the way man I think it was agreed upon in a handshake deal that they would kill Quicksilver and Ultron specifically because they wanted Quicksilver to be a big part of all the X-Men movies and when they were fighting over that property they are like you know what we get to keep Scarlet Witch with Elizabeth <coughs> Olsen who's like a huge su- becoming superstar now and a great actress and we'll, we'll take Quicksilver but anyways in the comics Scarlet Witch goes totally nuts and Basically kills or depowers 99% of mutants. Conveniently, our favorite mutants like Wolverine and Cyclops and so forth retain their powers, but most mutants are killed, lose their powers, and obviously you combine that with the government and shadow science groups. Right, man, like it's it's really bad. And Cable, in a long run over a number of years from like 05 to 2010, and X Factor, as we mentioned, plays into this, but a cable uh, who's the uh, son of a uh, Scott Summers and a version of Jean Grey who they have to send to the future because he has a sickness that Mr Sinister gave to him whatever he basically has to save at uh, the X-Men and humankind from themselves by traveling through time with hope who's the first new mutant born in like many 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 years and that's the connection sort of with X23 right in yeah. in Logan and I, this is not a spoiler man because they they flash forward to this in the first like 10 minutes of deadpool but cable and hope is a thing that's all i'm gonna say oh yeah Yeah, it's a thing so um and that's why deadpool i think you're gonna find fascinating just from a lore and comic book connection standpoint um Uh, But, uh, so anyways, guys, so that, that's, that's what we've been referring to with House of M and, and and the the near death of the mutants, um, and so forth. And so, um, yeah, man, like I said, I would be thrilled if Logan, um, uh, w- w- remained a standalone, but I think losing Daphne Keene w- would be a huge loss because let's be honest, she inherit it's 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 ironic but fitting that the genetic daughter of Wolverine would inherit a role so fully in the way he did in 2000 immediately with X Men, right? Totally,
1: and and I guess like you know once they they've introduced time travel, so now they can they can use that to reconcile anything they want, right? <laughs> like,
0: yeah, I think. I think the uh, intersection – like, we're going to see Deadpool uh, pop up in X-Men movies. We're going to see characters like Psylocke um, and possibly Cyclops and Jean Grey and so forth cross over into the Uh, X-Men. X-Force, Rated R, Deadpool, you know, Mm post-Logan movies. I I am very confident overall in Disney having it. I think they'll have better quality control than Fox. And as I mentioned with Rogue One, man, this was my Rogue One connection was – when they didn't disney Rogue One, but preserved it being a, basically as much of a Disney War movie as we're ever going to get in PG-13, I think. Um, I think they're not going to fuck with what's going on great because of the money and this popular, critical, and financial success of D- Logan and Deadpool and so forth. I think X-Force is definitely going to happen. New Mutants is going to be like a horror franchise that'll be like hard PG-13 um, and so forth. My, my concern is I don't want the Avengers and X-Men to cross over it seems inevitable now um, so let's do this man so this will be final thoughts on Marvel and then I want to have a couple quick hits about non Marvel and then we'll wrap up which is do you think it's enough? I know I keep asking two part question. Do you think it's inevitable that we're going to get X-Men Avengers crossovers now? And are you cool with that? Or are you like me and prefer them to keep it as separate as possible? Cause the X-Men universe is so large and while the Avengers crossovers growing up were fun. It was just exhausting and more comics I had to buy. And I feel that way about the movies too. So what are your thoughts about Fox now being under Disney's umbrella?
1: Um, I think it. I do think those crossovers are inevitable.
0: I but there's two ways of doing it. You can have Deadpool pop up just to be funny for 5 minutes or they right. can intertwine the MCU and the XU, which I, that's what I'm afraid of. Or like the Agents of know. Shield uh N- Netflix scenario where they vaguely reference New York and Captain America occasionally and it's supposed to feel connective like, you know.
1: Yeah. I yeah. I think there's got to be s- some level of connection. I it,
0: I'm asking you an ideal world scenario. In your ideal world, would you keep them mostly or completely separate in the film universes?
1: Honestly, in my in my ideal world, I would I would I this is maybe extreme, but like I would scrap the existing X universe and just try to kind of start fresh and incorporate that into the MCU. Um, I know that there's no way that's going to happen, but mm-hmm. but that that would be my preference. Um, and by the way... I, I think he, the foundation yeah. of the MCU is stronger than what we have. You know, on you that know who's concept. the guy for
0: the job? Because Josh specifically... Joss Whedon. Because yeah. he still directed the two most valuable up until Infinity War directed the two most valuable movies in Avengers 1 and 2 and wrote the most acclaimed mid 2000s X-Men series in astonishing X-Men that ran through four graphic yep. novels worth of comics and is excellent so he actually right. wrote the original script for X1 but they wanted to go with a darker serious tone which worked out great for everyone because his tone is better with Avengers but he can do dark as we saw um in Firefly not so much but when they got to Serenity movie it got pretty dark Buffy obviously you know and now he's doing a sort of uh dark victorian female alternate superhero show on hbo uh, you know i've been saying all along that th- the rumors of joss whedon's demise have been greatly exaggerated i'm glad to be proven right he's doing a project with neil gaiman that nobody's talking about uh which will be amazing oh, really? yeah neil might be writing for his show they've been posting tweets of them hanging out uh neil joss was like one of the first people who neil said he showed The, um, uh, well, what's the new Neil Gaiman property they're making into? a tv series or a tv movie um they've done american god successfully whatever the new neil Gaiman conversion is joss is i don't know if he's involved but they're buddies and they've posted photos of them you know checking each other's material and so forth anyways guys like whedon give me hope that uh it could it could work and so if i'm yeah if i'm asking you an ideal world then i have to also give you the idealistic all the best directors the russos joss yeah why
1: Uh, Yeah. But, but that, I think that that's my preference. It's just like, all right, we'll wrap up this existing X-Men stuff. And then we're going to kind of mm -hmm. take this opportunity to reintroduce those characters in the existing Mm -hmm. MCU. Um, it's, it's a little bit, you know, it's like a hard stop, but it might end up being like the most clean way to handle it all. Mm -hmm. Just my, my two cents.
0: Alright, buddy. Well, I appreciate you staying on so long. Uh, Can I ask you two or three more quick questions and we'll wrap up? Yeah. Cool. Alright. I said that was less Marvel, but this is sort of a little different. I mentioned I might bring this up. Uh, Netflix. Daredevil. Mm -hmm. Jessica Jones. Luke Cage. Iron Fist. The Defenders. I'll give you mine. I enjoyed Daredevil season one. I'm one of the only people that like Daredevil season two more other than I love Vincent D'Onofrio in season one as Kingpin, but uh, overall I like season two better. Um, but Jessica Jones season one is probably my favorite series, uh, uh, season of television ever, other than maybe like a couple of the wire and breaking bad seasons but i can't even get through a few episodes of season two because it's such a fu- huge drop off in writing and yeah. casting and i don't want it to ruin how much i love season one in fact dude that was the first um i'm releasing uh, all 14 firefly commentaries i'm about mm-hmm. halfway through i recorded them last year with matt goisman who i mentioned from wesleyan we did all 14 over a few months and i sat on him for a while and i'm releasing them leading up to the 10th anniversary of the show's <laughs> cancellation in a couple weeks um but uh I, the only other series i did full commentaries for and the only one i've ever done solo was the 13 episodes of jessica jones season one um i did a couple years ago i thought i was going to launch a whole separate line of bizzlecast tv um but after doing jj and firefly i was like actually there aren't that many other shows that i can get through that i love i'm not going to do six seasons of breaking bad five seasons of the wire plus everyone has said everything that needs to be said about those shows so that's my feeling overall i like mike coulter as luke cage i just don't love the show and obviously iron fist is a disaster but I don't blame the actor. It was just bad casting. So thoughts about Netflix, then I have a DC question, then we'll wrap up.
1: Yeah, I, I'm more or less on the same page. Uh, I really enjoyed both seasons of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Would you agree with me, though, that in principle, Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones is the best casting?
1: Oh, yeah, she's excellent. But you're you're 100% right that season two is just a mess. Um,
0: Terrible it, casting choices.
1: Yeah, it, it took like months to get through that. And I am not even satisfied. Like I, I should have just did what you did and, and not watched it all. It's, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a couple of interesting things that happen, but just the, it's really just, just bad writing and, and everything develops way too quickly in really haphazard ways. Um, I do disagree a little bit on, on Luke Cage. I enjoyed season one of that. I'm, pre- I'm going to watch season two as soon as I make the time um but yeah i thought that was that was a cool storyline and i mean he's a great character and it's good casting Yep. um
0: and something else you don't know about me because you know we don't talk about this stuff at really ever and you haven't listened to a lot of podcasts or, or which is i'm not a tv guy mm-hmm. it needs to be transcendent like the wire and breaking bad uh or even Battlestar galactica um but in all three of those cases, it wasn't until like the third or fourth season that I got into it and then binge the whole thing. So, um, I usually wait and then binge shows, uh, um, yeah, so, you know um so i'm not i again i'm a film guy first and then i'm a book guy second and then i'm a tv guy third so I, I agree with your assessment i think if i was a bit more patient watcher i'd really like luke cage and i'm gonna give season two a try at some point so um if we do a part two i really wanted to i loved your talk about the m- most frustrating changes in marvel movies and the best changes so
1: oh we, yeah that would be excellent be maybe fun. we can
0: do a quick follow-up where we just talk about comic books to movies with marvel um a few weeks or months down the line sure cool absolutely Um, all right so one or two more quickies you good yeah okay all right man a couple quickies to end the show again great to have you on um i don't say this enough man but one of the reasons i love having my friends on isn't just to catch up with them that's obviously great but it's because this is like you know our friends are super intellectual and smart, but we generally like to goof around and just be dudes, you know, when we <laughs> hang out. So yeah. it's great to get friends, whether it's Smiley talking about his book or Eric talking deeply about the music industry. I mean, my podcast with Eric Herman was all about politics before the, the Trump-Hillary election, you know. So it's it's great to see the different sides <laughs> and it sort of forces us to, to have a, a conversation. So um,
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a whole different lens than just like getting together to hang out. And it, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it pushes the the discussion into Mm -hmm. you know deeper and maybe more serious places it's great
0: well, and I would love to, uh, I just have one or two more quick hits um, to close on uh, as palate cleansers, but I would love now that you're maybe back on social media a little bit to continue the discussion online um, and of course, have you back down the, down the line if you want, but certainly on Facebook uh, mm-hmm. and you guys out there, obviously, BizzleCast.com for my podcast, BizzleCast uh, on Facebook, um, you know, uh, but Facebook's the place to follow me. I post a lot. So, you know, you might not want to follow everything, but I also... Um, I. Uh, this is to you, Ryan Harper. So the listeners, you know, I get a lot of good discussions going with people about star Wars, about comic books. Um, just in general, I'm very big on women's issues and women's representation, uh, as well as LGBT representation in movies, uh, and TV, uh, in nerd properties in particular. So if that interests any of you out there, then follow me. I am very militant, uh, feminist and liberal progressive guy. So just be aware, but I'm also willing to engage anyone on anything. As long as you have an open mind and can have civil discussion although i'm cool with passion um, so reinhardt final question or two dc are you into dc do you like dc movies television comic books favorite character give me a couple dc things you like oh man
1: uh i, I love batman <laughs> but uh more in the honest,
0: comics or more on screen or both
1: i think more on screen I, I never got too far into dc comics um probably kind of unfairly wrote them off but they, there's definitely some some cool characters there. Uh, I should I should you know should bone up on my DC knowledge, but um, love all the like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Love the original Tim Burton Batman movies. Um, haven't really gotten too into the the latest like DC Universe movies, um, but you know I, I I think I owe it to myself to to give DC another go at some point. Can I, I, I wouldn't say a... I'm oh, sorry. Oh yeah. I was just going to say, I wouldn't say I'm a hater. I'm just uh-huh. ignorant.
0: <laughs> so you like Batman? You yeah. like, uh, investigatory comics. You like sense of humor and great writing. I can already tell from X factor. Can I give you a recommendation? Totally. The new 52 Barbara Gordon Batgirl is spectacular and probably what they're going to base Batgirl on whenever that happens. Great. I'll check that out for sure. It takes place directly a year later after the killing joke, um, where it's very controversial that Alan Moore just shoots Babs and paralyzes her for no particular reason other than to get back at Jim Gordon with the Joker. Um, but they deal with it head-on in the new 52 back row. I think it's five volumes. It's very readable. The first three in particular, excellent and it's about PTSD, but she's also hyper capable, you know, like she's thinking about her laundry in the dryer while she's beating up bad guys kind of stuff, you know, yeah. it's very funny, very relatable and a good balance of cute, funny, but also like serious themes. And she's got great relationships with Robin and Nightwing and even Batman and so forth. He's constantly trying to keep her out of their business for her, her protection for gordon's protection but he needs her brains and her skills um so i would very much recommend uh, recommend that um otherwise i've dabbled in supergirl i've dabbled in some batman i've dabbled in you know some stuff like that um what about on on uh, tv <laughs> you into the C oh so like what is that like
1: arrow arrow
0: flash supergirl legends of tomorrow yeah I, 15, uh- briefly
1: I have not really watched any of those, and I think part of it is because I never, you know, was deep into the comics, so I just kind of mm-hmm. wrote it off. But obviously, they're standalone shows that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, maybe would be enjoyable. If,
0: if you like X Men: First Class as much as you do, yeah, the tone and writing of Supergirl is amazing. It's clearly cool. the best written and cast and acted show. Um, season one, maybe two, maybe three of Arrow are great. And then it gets really formulaic. But especially season one of Arrow is very dark when he's killing people and being a full-on vigilante. Once he starts like, paralyzing and knocking out people, that's always my problem with superheroes, man. And well, maybe can we end on this point, which is the reason I like X-Men, or especially X-Force, and let's be honest, Star Wars, when Luke Skywalker is seen as a saint. But Luke, even in the original movies, when he has to kill a bad guy, he'll do it. Right. There's this thing in comic books between Batman, Superman, and Captain America that even if you're a genocidal killer or apocalypse or, or Lex Luthor, yeah. we're not going to kill you to save a billion people. And I'm the guy who's like, put me in a time machine, send me back to shoot Hitler. I'll do it. You know? <laughs> I am all about nonviolence, but cer- a certain amount of evil crosses the line. And if you don't think you can imprison someone safely the way the DC villains in particular are constantly escaping... You you got to take him out, but but you know what I'm saying in Star Wars, right? Oh, I mean, totally. Luke, and and, and, and not in the comic mention, books too, Luke will just murder a bad guy if he doesn't have a choice. And, and not to mention with with superheroes,
1: it obviously many things about superpowers are unrealistic. But if you're that powerful, like you're probably going to unintentionally kill mm-hmm. a bunch of people if you're getting into all these fights. You know, it yeah. seems it seems kind of ridiculous that they'd so, be so careful.
0: Yeah. And, So let me run by this one idea and then we'll wrap up, which is two of my main contributors, Matt Goisman, who I've been mentioning, who's my DC specialist. Also, he loves Star Trek and I love Star Trek. I'm very thrilled about the Captain Picard series. Um, uh, And Jedi geek girl, who's my main star Wars contributor. They share the belief that escapism in comic book movies or star Wars in their version of escapism, no one dies, including the bad guys in my version of escapism justice is served and the good guys are saved because that doesn't happen in the real world. The, in the real world, the wrong people get killed and the right people live. So which side of that do you land on? Well, and again, I'm not arguing for killing all bad guys. I'm just saying if, if I know I can save millions or billions by, by mercy, I'm not about torture or anything like that. If I can, you know, cut off your head like Obi-Wan, you know, with a lightsaber uh, to save to save the universe uh, yeah, i i believe that's the right thing to do but that's a divide i think between people who like darker comic books and people who like bubblier comic books
1: yeah i i don't know i think i i tend to to side with your contributors but yeah.
0: like, maybe for that, for instance, for let me give you an example reasons. let me give you an example man of steel and we'll end on this man of steel i actually think it is the best of the zack snyder dc movies which isn't saying a lot in my opinion although i think justice league is underrated but joss whedon has his hands all over that so i'm giving him props and wonder woman's the best of the new movies obviously but that's patty jenkins and gal gadot anyways i think man of steel is actually decent i did a commentary on that i like it more than matt who specifically hates superman snapping zod's neck and i'm like this guy is literally trying to kill the universe it's like thanos like if the avengers get a shot at thanos are you saying they shouldn't take him out
1: no i'm not saying that at all okay. but the i, I guess I, I looked at it a little differently because like a lot of the the really wonderful comic storylines one of the main themes is this, is like, like resurrection right so like like characters die but then they come back in different forms and things like that so true i've always liked that sort of like fantastical Mm -hmm. um element or you know it's part of
0: the whole mythology all right man final question i'll let you go black panther you know my connection to africa the listeners know my connection to africa you did a lot of african music you've been to africa you're very familiar did you like Black Panther? And did you think it was a, a cool portrayal? Because I was excited. That's what I said. With Star Wars, Black Panther was the impetus for my podcast starting. And it, for the most part, lived up to my expectations. And I'm even more pumped for the future. Thoughts on Black Panther? And I'll let you go.
1: Oh, def- I definitely loved it. Um, they, they did so much good stuff. Not, I mean, for me, like the star of that movie wasn't even... No t'challa it was like wakanda like they yeah. built this whole world yep. um that was well beyond my expectations and yep. as represented
0: um, by his sister Shori, but included a lot of characters
1: yeah yeah and and just how they built out all of the different tribes and gave them you know their due in in really what ultimately is a very limited amount of time you know how, how long could a movie be like once you get around two and a half hours, p- unless it's really amazing, people start to get bored. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I thought, I thought just everything they did to build out that world was exceptional. And, of course, that, you know, then sort of sets the stage for it to play such a big role in Infinity War. Um, but, yeah, I just I love how they created this, you know, sort of like mm-hmm. just amazing world that is Wakanda.
0: And again, this is my, and we'll wrap up, this was my Rogue One thing. This was my original X-Men cast thing. This is my Black Panther thing. You cast a ton of award-winning, established, brilliant actors, Chadwick Boseman, Forrest Whitaker, Angela Bassett, on and on and on. And that allows brand new characters like Shuri and M'Baku to step forward and steal scenes straight up.
1: Yep. And I would say like the one, this is very minor, but my one slight disappointment with that movie was what went down with claw. Like they kind of just killed him off. And I think Andy circus was like bringing a lot to the table. He, it, even just from watching the preview, I was like, Oh man, like this is going to be cool. Like seeing him in action, he's going to be funny. He's going to be evil. Um, but really he was not even in the movie that much. <laughs> and then, and then he just yep. died. Um, so it'd be nice if they could bring him back. Cause I think he's like, he's a great foil and a, just a great nemesis for oh, yeah. T'Challa. And and I love that they, they made the character, like this white South African guy, like added a whole interesting kind of super relevant dynamic right. to but it. But
0: who ended up being the ultimate bad guy was an African-American, which, you know, speaks very truly between the – it's getting a, yeah. the divide is closing, but there has historically been a divide between Africans and African Americans for obvious reasons. And less right. Obvious but, reasons.
1: but, but I, I think it, it's, it's less cut and dry, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Killmonger, the way that they built out the character in the movie, it, it's almost like a, a, you know, a, an Eric Charles or a Magneto Xavier relationship
0: I would say it's a Shakespearean tragedy I was in tears Uh, Magneto was the only other bad guy that's made me cry before from from Marvel I was in tears at the end and I think there's a lot of echoes of Charles and Eric uh with (laughs) T'Challa and Killmonger uh, the way it was portrayed
1: totally yeah which is great you know I love that they they weren't afraid to Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to kind of blur all all these lines and like Mm -hmm. not make it so uh black and white in terms of good and evil and all that Mm -hmm. it was great
0: all right man i really appreciate you staying on a little bit longer than usual which always happens on the Bizzlecast. um (laughs) uh, i am known for my two and a half to three hour podcast though so we did well there um so can i just tease a potential future podcast we talked about off mic would be to go more in depth on the movies but i think the two movies you should see and then we'll reconvene at some point are deadpool 2 and han solo
1: yeah, uh, they're on my list. I'll definitely yeah. get to those as yeah. as soon as possible. And I think we, <laughs> yeah. we both need to see uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, right? I'm seeing
0: it tomorrow with my dad. Nice. Um, but th- for different reasons. Solo, because I think you'll be surprised at how good it is. And uh, Deadpool 2, because of what it, it's teasing and setting up for what could be an awesome X future.
1: Right on. Yeah, I'll do my homework and we'll, we'll make this happen again. Thanks for having me on.
0: Dude, thank you so much for being on. I hope to. I keep trying to get up to New York. It's tough. Everyone's so busy. I have a tiny apartment in Philly. You guys have tiny apartments in New York, so we'll we'll make it happen sometime soon. So I hope to actually hang out in person. But this was a real pleasure, and I honestly would love to have you back on anytime.
1: Thanks, man. I'll I'll, I'll be happy to return.
0: All right, guys. So that was Reinhard Schumann. You can check me out at BizzleCast online. Check out my Logan commentary, which pairs very nicely with this podcast. Thank you again, Reinhard. And for the moment, the BizzleCast is out.